0: it's good to be with you guys and um it i was telling nelson that uh, every time i'm here there's a new configuration of the space right so we're in the rickshaw the first two times and totally different configurations in those times and then we're on the stage the only other time i've been here and now we've got this beautiful circle thing happening so i can't wait for the next time to see what else you're gonna gonna do it's been fun as well in the meantime, it's been 14 months since uh, I was with you, and it's been fun um, the ways in which our lives have overlapped and intersected in the meantime. So it's fun to look around and see people I've played softball with this summer. And uh, if you want any inside information on people's softball abilities, as long as you don't ask about mine, i happy to provide that. Um, we, some of you, how many of you did the walk for reconciliation in September? A so number of you walked, um, walked on that very different day from the walk we had had in 2013 where it was bucketing rain and then in, uh, this year it was a beautiful, gorgeous day as we walked from downtown, uh, just down to the park over here. Lance contributed to reconciliation in a significant way that day. He, um... He came and he fed people who had been at their booths, swamped with people all day. So I am still great. My stomach is still grateful for, uh, for that service that day. It's a gift to be with you here in, in the season of Advent. Um, the Sunday that we remember joy in particular Uh, Thanks, Amy, for reminding us, as you reminded the children, that this is a season of waiting, even though you probably feel a little busy these days. Anybody feel a little busy? And we're going to combine this idea of, of waiting in joy, this Advent anticipation, with uh, the practice of reconciliation. So I, would, I look forward to hearing from um, many of you what your practice of various things has been, like the 40-day challenge that uh, that you had on. I would love to hear how that was for you. We're going to add another practice, which you're probably feeling like, how can we keep adding practices? I can't even do the ones that we've tried to practice so far. But actually, hopefully, they all start to become one as we as we practice at them. But this practice of, of reconciliation, um, what does that have to do with waiting for, waiting in joy or with this whole idea of, of Advent joy, anticipation, reconciliation and joy seem, the path of reconciliation often seems totally counter to the path of joy. Anybody experience that? One of my favorite uh, Advent songs that no one knows is an Advent song because everyone thinks it's a Christmas song. But I just think that the author got the order of things wrong. Um, I have been a part of traditions where you sing Advent songs in Advent and you don't sing Christmas songs until it's Christmas. And those are the ones that are where the unleashing of the... All that you've anticipated and waited for comes, but then you're tired of hearing all of those Christmas songs already that you've heard in the mall and no one else is singing them and then you're stuck. But one of my favorite Advent slash Christmas songs is Joy to the World. And I think it should be an Advent song that we start with the verse, no more let sin and sorrow reign, nor thorns infest the ground. Right? I think that should be the first verse of that song. That we should we should begin in that acknowledgement that you know what, as we wait, as we anticipate the advent, the the first advent and the second advent of Christ, as we anticipate the advent of Christ in joyful anticipation, we do so with this solid recognition. This this bold awareness that all is not as it should be in the world that there is sin and sorrow throughout the land that the curse has spread it's far reaching but that our prayer is, our advent prayer is that as far as the curse is found that the blessing of God would come that as far as the curse is found, where there are thorns, where there is strife and struggle, that as far as the curse is found, that that is as far as the message of the gospel would go, that it would reach all of those places and it would transform something. It would unlock something. A space would be opened up for the renewing work of Of the creator who has come to restore and to renew creation. Joy to the world. Our savior has come. Let earth, right? Not just just the people gathered around the tree with you. But let earth receive her king. That as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found that there would be something opened up, some space in which the economy of God begins to take shape, we start to see it, it starts to become visible. And we see the renewal of all of creation. So I want to invite you this Advent Sunday to think about where it is in your life that you are seeing the curse. Where is the curse reached to in your life? life in your scope of vision. I want to encourage you that a practice of faithful discipleship is also trying to expand your discernment about how far the curse has reached. That while some of us feel overwhelmed by our awareness of where things are not as they ought to be. that something of the gospel gives us a capacity to see more of where things are not right because we are rooted in that hope that we started with last week in advent that hope that the incarnation of Christ makes all the difference the hope that that curse we just need we need to identify it because there is the potential for it to be reversed but that if we don't see it, how will it be changed? So I want to invite you to consider how how far do you see the curse reaching? Where is it that, that you are experiencing or seeing strife where there ought to be cooperation? Where are you finding that there is rupture in right relationships? Where do you see, where do you hear noise and dissonance? Where there ought to be harmony and melody? A picture of reconciliation that I um, quite appreciate is, is the idea that, that the reconciliation of God is a retuning of all of creation to the original song that Creator sang over creation as, as God sang creation into being. That things have gotten out of whack. They've become noisy and dissonant. But that the work of reconciliation is that of, of remembering, listening for, inviting the tune, the true tune that god sings over us and then inviting all the myriad voices of creation into a harmonious orchestra of sound and beauty but that is the work of restoring what has been tainted and destroyed through the work of the curse So think about that area that you see the curse and I want to invite you to just carry that area um, with you in through the rest of our service today to ask God what is it, where is it, how is it that in this space you are longing to do something, something new. We're going to turn to um, to our text for today in just a minute. I want to just invite us to pray together before we go further. Jesus, it's a vulnerable thing that um, I have asked people to do To think about the places that uh, hurt in and around them The places that are um, in discord But We believe that you actually long to go to those places, that that is is the work that you do, and we invite you this morning to come and to walk with us into um, spaces that touch our lives, spaces that don't touch our lives, but that we long to see transformation in. We ask that you would open up a space where we can attend to your faithful presence, which is what transforms those realities for us. Would you help us to see you as we are gathered here today? In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 4, it's actually the prayer that we prayed at the very beginning. Um, of our gathering today, was from this text. So this is the text that is also found in Isaiah chapter 61 in Luke 4. Jesus reads this Old Testament text out. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 18. Might not be obvious to you right away um, how this text fits and is going to inform where we're going to go, but I ask you to stick with me here. So the text is this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. This is Jesus, right? The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they said? And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal thyself. And you will tell me, do hear in your hometown what you have heard that you did, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, prophets are not accepted in their hometowns. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Now all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off of a cliff. But he walked through the crowd and went on his way. So, we have two responses to, uh, to Jesus' um, presentation of this text from Isaiah. The first response is, doesn't he speak well? Isn't this, isn't this the kid that grew up in our community? And the second response, after he says a couple more things, is drive him off the cliff. Is it clear to anyone why they went from isn't he cute? Didn't he grow up here? Didn't he look good now that he's a grown-up to drive him off the cliff? Does anyone understand what happened? Is that clear to anybody? It takes a little bit of work to unpack, or at least it does for me. And we'll get there. Um, but, but we're going to go slowly. So Jesus reads out this text from, from Isaiah. And this text is this, this vision of the blessing of God going as far as the curse is found, right? This is, this is the extension of the, the kingdom of God um, or what uh, Ched Myers likes to call the economy of God, right? We, we do not live with kings and queens. We don't live in a world that, is, um, that we comprehend kingdoms necessarily. But we do live in an economy, and the economy makes all kinds of decisions about how we order our lives. And so Ched says we need to use the language of the economy of God rather than the kingdom of God, because it gets to what might be a little unsettling to us about the reign of God coming. Uh, into our world and transforming uh, the way that we order our lives. So when I, when I say the economy of God, it is synonymous with the kingdom of God, but hopefully as we press into that, it starts to get a little uncomfortable because God's rule and reign is going to be a little different from what is currently present. So so this is a picture of the economy of God taking shape right that the that the Spirit of God goes forth, the Spirit of God is upon uh, this individual, and the proclamation of good news to the poor happens that this is not just a message for those who are um, who are well to do and elite it is not for those who have uh, extra space and time and good education this is This is a reordering that reaches and is good news for the poor, for those who are on the outcast's edges, the margins of society. That this, this message that it comes, as the spirit of the Lord moves out, this message comes and it brings freedom for prisoners, those who are invisible to us, for the most part, right? It brings freedom to the prisoners. Recovery of sight, to the blind. The oppressed go free. And the year of the Lord's favor is proclaimed, or the jubilee of God is proclaimed, when, when all of creation is in its right order and is flourishing and allows the full flourishing of all aspects of creation. That this is what happens when when the curse, as far as the curse is found. The blessing of God comes. And Jesus stands up and says, this day, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And we we hear that, implying that Jesus is saying, the Spirit of God is on me, and I have gone and I have done these things. And they have heard stories of Jesus going and doing these things, of, of the curse being reversed in these and other areas as Jesus has walked around the land. But... Then he begins to say, and you wanna see these same things happen here, but they're not gonna happen here. That's the, he goes a sideways way of saying basically, they're not gonna happen here. Maybe they'll happen here, maybe they won't happen here, but he gives these examples of places where the curse has been reversed in the story of Israel. And those places where the curse has been reversed in the story of Israel, he pulls out the stories of those who are outside of the family of, um, of the Jews. When the outsider is included. And the implication is those miracles aren't going to happen here because you aren't open to a reconciliation that reaches beyond your own closed circle. The curse is going to stay the curse out there for you because you aren't willing to press the boundaries of it into places that are really uncomfortable to you. This is why they're ready to run him off of the cliff. And the question that comes for us is how far are we willing for reconciliation to go? How far are we willing to watch for and discern the Spirit of God... Bringing blessing in the land. Because all of us have places that we feel like. That's fine. I long for God to come in these ways for me. But not for that person. (laughs) Not in that place. And here are the reasons why. It can't come there. It can't come to them. And the question in this text is. How far will we allow the reconciliation of God to extend. Will we allow it to extend as far as the curse is found? There's a guy I got to uh, spend some time with just before Lance had asked me if I would come and talk about reconciliation. His name is David Fitch. And he does a lot of talking about, uh, about reconciliation and about practicing faithful, uh, the faithful presence of God. And so he says that that this table is where we learn about reconciliation, that this table is where we come first and foremost as guests, as guests of Christ who are in need of God's forgiveness, of God's renewal, of God's healing, of the gospel coming to us. And we come to this table and we receive that. But that this table is also meant to be instructive for us as we leave this place and sit around all the other tables that we sit around. So I appreciated Scott's um, sermon a few weeks ago about, um, about the practice of hospitality and hospitality being an extension of this table. So this table is meant to be instructive for us, but then we're to replicate this table as we leave this place. So what does that mean? What does that look like? So one of the things that's a little tricky for me in this practice side of things is that uh, when we look at apprenticeship, as you guys have been doing, um, for the most part, we watch... An apprentice watches a master do what they do, right? And then you try and do what the master does. And you do it imperfectly or whatever, but then you get better and better at it over time so that eventually the hope is that you aren't always an apprentice, but that you become a master, right? The trouble with the the work of reconciliation being a practice that we follow exactly what Jesus is doing is that we can't do what Jesus does in reconciliation. Now, unfortunately, what that's meant in history is we've kind of realized that. We can't do what Jesus does in reconciliation, and so we shouldn't bother with it at all. So actually, in the third century... uh, Right up, right up from the time that Jesus celebrates this meal with his disciples through the third century, there is an active practice of the ministry of reconciliation, right? In the, at, the, uh, at the end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he said, um, God in Christ is reconciling all of creation to himself. Christ has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And they took that very seriously. And there was a, an active practice of reconciliation that happened in the community of faith. But around the third century, uh, there was a decision made that this this is important stuff, and maybe only priests, in fact, maybe only bishops should be allowed to extend reconciliation, right? And so we closed it down, we kind of put it, we wrapped it up and we put it in the church and we just kind of put a lot of rules around and said, don't let it get out because it could get messy if it gets out, right? And I think, I think we're less for that. There are a bunch of ways that we've tried to, to control reconciliation because it gets really messy when it starts to take hold and go beyond these walls, it gets messy in these walls, too, if we were really honest. But let's focus on when it goes outside of these walls. So the other thing that, um, that happened that is fascinating to me. Um, late 1400s, early 1500s, you have some painters who are depicting this table, right? Jesus' table, the Lord's Supper. Whose famous Lord's Supper do we know? Leonardo da Vinci's, right? Everything is clean and tidy. Everybody's sitting in a good selfie lineup uh, row so you can capture everything, right? Not a lot of mess, not a lot of chaos. Well, there was another artist um, working at about the same time. Um, Paulo, I'm going to get his name right, uh, Veronese. Paulo Virenese. Is anyone familiar with his Last Supper painting? Okay, his, his Last Supper painting uh, is not known as the Last Supper because it was the subject of the Inquisition. The Inquisition, he, he painted this huge mural. And I was going to try and get it, but I can't, it's so big, it's really hard to be able to capture it in a way that you can see what's going on. Um, so it's this huge mural and it is chaotic. There are seventy-six people in this uh, in this painting, and there are there are dwarves and jesters and uh, people who are clearly drunk and people who are clearly engaged in there. Are, there are sinners in this painting, and so word got out that this painting was out there. And the inquisition said, we are going to hold a trial. And they said, you have to change this painting. There are sinners in it. And so rather than changing the painting, he changed the name of it. So it's called the feast at the house of Levi. And in the feast that happened at the house of Levi, it's well known that there were sinners present there. Therefore, it's all okay. But we have all kinds of ways that we've said, whoa, 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 those people don't belong in the story. They should not be in the picture. They do not have their stuff together, right? Cannot extend there. This table can't extend to those places. And yet, it does. And it should. And we are to carry it from this place in a particular way. But how is it that we carry it uh, that's different from how Jesus does it? So let me make that distinction between uh, where I think this is a little different from other aspects of, of apprenticeship, where we don't just do what Jesus does. So what Jesus does at the table is he actually uh, he actually enacts forgiveness and, and more importantly opens up space for new creation, right? Jesus says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's a new new ordering of relationships. Something brand new starts to open up and take shape. We get to see glimpses of God's economy that starts to take shape at the table. We can't do that. But we are asked as we practice every week, I love it that you guys um, celebrate the table every week. I grew up in a tradition where we celebrated it once a month, right? And then I went to a tradition where we celebrated it once a week and I was like, wow. Like, I actually need Jesus a lot more than I thought I needed Jesus. I do need him every week. I don't just need him once a month. And there's something really powerful for me about that change of, of coming to the table over and over. And then I spent some time in a community that practices the table every day and I've realized I need need Jesus a lot more than I thought I needed Jesus, right? So we need Jesus. Jesus is present in the table and Jesus shows up in some unique ways to meet us here. But when we take the table and extend it um, to, to the world beyond the walls of the community of faith which is really what we're supposed to be all on about. When we do that, we too readily um, perhaps take on the role of host. And I want to encourage you that, that maybe what we do as we extend the table is we continue to be guests. And we are discerning the presence of God in a situation. We are discerning the presence of God in a gathering of people. We are discerning the presence of God in the midst of enmity and strife between two individuals or more. We are discerning God's presence in our midst when we're outside of the walls of this building. And we are inviting God to be host of a meal that meets us and extends To the places that are as far as the curse is found. That we attend to God's presence there. We invite God's presence. Sometimes we give language and articulation to the presence of God in that way and in that place. But we do so as guests. God is still host at this table. And... We, God, God forgives. Jesus offers himself in profound vulnerability. This is my body, which I give for you, which he's going to literally give for us after he celebrates this meal, right? We too are invited into vulnerability, but we are not invited to be Jesus. We are not the Messiahs. And I can very readily fall into that trap Of thinking in the midst of reconciliation. I need to be more than I am. That I need to be something of Jesus. When I need to. I need to bear witness to the presence of Jesus. Instead. And I need to be me. And part of being me. Is also coming into that place. When we take this table out of this room. To come into the places that the table is. In the world that I come into that place confessing. In the same way that Jesus offers the vulnerability of his very body, that I offer the vulnerability of my confession. If, if there is reconciliation that is needed that I am a part of, confession is the place that I begin. That is the practice for me to cultivate. In all of these practices, uh, children are usually better at them than adults. Right? Even in this one, I have um, I have a cousin who is five. His name is Calvin, and Calvin um, has just started kindergarten, and it's not going real well. <laughs> So every day he gets in the car. His mom picks him up, gets in the car. How was your day at school today, Calvin? Calvin says, It was a rough day, Mom. There was screaming and hitting and biting and scratching, and that was just me. (laughs) He says, I got to tell the truth. And I love that about Calvin, that he always, he has to tell the truth, no matter what. And he is bold in telling the truth. And something opens up because he's able to tell the truth. That would be very different from if he was removed from that stuff, right? That there's a repentant uh, spirit in that boy, And he weeps over the truth that he's a part of, right? And there's gift for me as I watch him tell the truth. (laughs) As we are invited to tell the truth, to confess our part as we come to the table, as we are in need of the grace of God, the blessing of God to extend as far as the curse is found, even within me. But that when we open up in that space of confession that, that a space is created particularly when we have power in a situation. That space is created when we come in a posture of confession and repentance. A space is created that is safe for something new to take shape. For the renewal of God's very presence, to begin to exact something radically different between us, among us. So we practice this table beyond these walls. We need to practice it as regularly as we practice here, but we practice here to be reminded of what it is we're practicing, to be reminded that God welcomes us in our confession that God does not dismiss us or put us in the corner to wait out until we can be better he doesn't clean up our painting he wants there to be sinners around the table that this table isn't doing what this table is supposed to do if there aren't sinners around it We practice by inviting God's presence in those places. When I think I need to uh, be the Messiah, when I think I need to be the one who offers my life like Jesus offered his life, then I control the situation and I, um, and I manipulate and I become very invested in your response, your positive response to what I want to come out of this, right? But when I come confessing, then a space is opened up for God to do something else. Lance mentioned that. Um, the work of Red Clover and Healing at the Winning Place has been carrying on since last I was with you. And there are some beautiful ways in which I get to bear witness to, um, to space being opened up. And forgiveness beginning to take shape. New relationships starting to, uh, to have space to be. But that usually comes through confession. In Regina in uh, October, we had a gathering um, of, of churches and indigenous folks to talk about reconciliation. We had a little poster up, said, creating, charting a path for reconciliation. And these guys are in the downtown core, and they felt like we wanna have that, uh, we wanna have our signs up on the street. There's a lot of street traffic. If anybody wants, is just passing by and they wanna come in and be a part of things, they can do that. They're welcome. And so we're uh, about two hours into our time together on a Saturday and this um, Cree elder walks in off the street and she says, I hear this is a conversation about reconciliation. We said, yes, come on in, have a seat. She says, don't tell me where to be and what to do. I realize, oh, <laughs> there's something. I am not the, uh, I'm not the host here I am also a guest here. How do I create space? So she finds her her spot to sit, and I am watching her as she's listening, and she's getting more and more agitated. And the person who is speaking um, is a is in their early thirties and um, is local to that area. is a follower of Jesus um, who is who is talking a lot um, from the Bible and is justifying why he as a a traditional Cree person um, is also a follower of Jesus. And so he's making this case. And most of the audiences like ours that he has spoken to would have a hard time understanding him being fully traditional and fully a follower of Jesus. And so he is doing his best to defend why this is the case. For this fully traditional person who is not interested in the church, who has just come in off of the street, she is upset that who we have invited to be a part of this is an apple. Red on the outside, white on the inside. Anyone in her mind who is, uh, who is a follower of Jesus is, by definition, has become uh, white. And so she is upset. And she stands up in the middle of this and she says, this is not reconciliation. And I don't know what you guys are doing here. And so we have a conversation. <laughs> and I apologize and confess that... We don't have anyone currently who shares her perspective and who is a part of our schedule for the day um, from, that, from that vantage point. Not because we didn't try, This I didn't tell her, <laughs> um, but because no one, no one accepted our invitation. But the fact of the matter is, in this moment, she does not feel like there's space for her uh, in this story, and we cannot have right relationship restored if uh, there's not space for her. And so we um, proceeded to invite her to take some space and some time in the afternoon. We um, reoriented our way of, of being together to create space for her. It was totally chaotic. It was fairly embarrassing. There are a lot of people who are really upset that we didn't get to what was on the agenda. But I think in a fumbling sort of a way, we did what we could to extend the table and to open up some space for something new to emerge. There's relationships that continue to uh, to be happening uh, between that church and uh, and the elder who continues to come back and to be in conversation. There are difficult conversations that happen every week about uh, that happen between this woman. And the pastor there about the ways in which he tries to make her feel welcome that she feels like are controlling for her, right? And he's opening up space to learn and to confess that what he has assumed, he wants to make sure that it's something that she can receive. And she lets him know that it's not something that she can receive. And so they go back and forth. And space is opened up and something is beginning to emerge there. It's a small thing, but it makes a big difference when we practice reconciliation by coming in this posture of confession, inviting the presence of God to do something beyond what we can hope or imagine, believing that the joy of the blessing of God desires to extend to the places as far as the curse is found and that when we can attend to those things, that God does something... It opens something up and the shape of the economy of God begins to become visible. I want to invite you this week to ask, where is it that I am discerning that the Spirit of God might be inviting a conversation or an opportunity for reconciliation Maybe it's between you and someone else and maybe it's between other people. I had a conversation this week because I was going to, like, oh, I've got to practice this if I'm going to talk about practicing this. So I had a conversation this week between um, two friends who have some strife with one another who aren't speaking to each other. and I said, I, I, um, I wonder if God wants to heal what's been broken between the two of you. And uh, they said, we're not interested. And when we extend the table beyond these walls, we need to respect the fact that it'll be turned down more often than it's accepted. And that's okay. But we still extend it. It still has the power to heal and transform. And sometimes it's received in the places we least expect that it will be. Hence Jesus' stories about the case uh, with the widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian who are healed when the people who follow Jesus in the land do not seek God's healing, do not respond to that invitation. We never know where it will come. We extend it, trying to discern the presence of God. We extend the table beyond these walls, believing that God is on about this work of setting right what has been rent asunder. And Sometimes we'll get to bear witness to it. In the meantime, we practice offering and extending it. May the joy of the anticipation of God's rule and reign, God's economy taking shape among us. May it feed you this season as you wait and you watch and you practice reconciliation. Thanks be to God.